Hello, and welcome to another episode of Arthritis at Home. Today, we have a special guest. You may have seen her on Arthritis at Home before. That's Ellen Wang, Programs Coordinator and Research Trainee at Arthritis Research Canada. Today, we're both going to talk about ULAR, the European Alliance of Associations for Rheumatology, holds one of the two biggest international gatherings of the smartest people in arthritis, researchers, clinicians, patients, trainees, to share research and discuss the latest advances in arthritis prevention, care and treatment. And ACE is going to be a very active organization at this upcoming ULAR. It's going to be held in Milan starting on May 30th to June 3rd. Um, one of the things that ACE is going to be involved in is the meeting and a one-day workshop of the Global RA Network that ACE co-founded and currently leads and serves as the secretariat for the gathering of roughly 20 rheumatoid arthritis patient organizations in Europe and the Americas. And ACE is leading the one-day workshop where we are going to look at closely health inequities, which leads us to our second key participation at this year's ULAR, and that is Ellen is going to be presenting an abstract as the lead author on inequities in arthritis care in Canada and intersectional analysis of BIPOC women. The other authors of this research paper and abstract along with Ellen from ACE were Anita Chan, Cheryl Cohen, and myself. And other co-authors included Mario Conseco from Research Co. and Eric Serre from Arthritis Research Canada and Dr. Terry Lynn Fox. That's a long way to introduce you today, Ellen. Welcome, and let's talk about this abstract. Thank you for having me as always, Kelly. And yeah, very, you know, incredible work that ACE has led. And I, I just get to be a part of a small segment of it, but I, I'm more than happy to share what I've learned. So in November, we published the results of a national survey on health inequities in Canada in the arthritis context. And based on those survey findings, we did a sub-analysis and we looked closely at how BIPOC women, Black person of color and Indigenous uh, women were affected. What, what was their experience with health inequities in Canada as arthritis uh, patients, people living with arthritis? That sub-analysis led to this abstract and maybe to start, Ellen, maybe you can just 
briefly tell us what were the objectives as part of that sub-analysis? Yeah, absolutely, Kelly. So just to give everyone um, a little bit of background information, in August of last year, um, ACE had conducted a national survey to look at health inequities very broadly. As a part of kind of the our standard analysis approach, we look at rural versus non-rural, French versus English, and of course, uh, women versus men. This is the standard way that we look at data at ACE has been protocol for, uh, I think, all of our surveys up to this point. Because we had such an incredible, such a powerful, not only it's truly powerful, but power in terms of statistical power from our research perspective, the number of individuals we want to thank everyone who completed that survey, we were able to then think, all right, we have this very powerful data set. There's a lot of data. There's a lot of data, very rich data. Can we drill down to not only look at women versus men? Can we drill down not only to look at BIPOC versus white? Can we drill down even more to look at what is the difference between we're at the intersection of gender-based discrimination and ethnic-based discrimination. So we looked specifically at the group of women who identify as either Black, Indigenous, or person of color as compared to white women, as compared to white men. And that way we were able to really hone in on that one group. And what we learned was that, you know, some people may find it surprising, others may not, that there are differences. And we have to be, we're going to be really specific and say there were differences in what those patients' preferences are. So they, we learned that BIPOC women, if they had to choose, they have a strong lean towards, for example, healthcare providers that are the same gender, same ethnicity as them. There's a strong preference. Really interesting, right? From when you think from a health policy perspective, should we be training more healthcare providers that are perhaps diverse and match those needs of our incredibly diverse country? Something to think about. We also realize that their interactions with healthcare providers are different. So when we think about when we go into a healthcare interaction, I'm going to see my physician. I usually have certain concerns. Those concerns as a person living with arthritis may be pain and discomfort, but we found out that, for example, women of color actually have more difficulty, significantly more difficulty having those conversations about pain and discomfort. Like, could you imagine not being able to speak to your primary care position about pain and discomfort. So these things that, yes, we know there's differences, but we were able to capture the differences in a very nuanced way, in, in a way that, you know, is actually very telling because now that we have this data, we're then able to take steps towards truly addressing what are those gaps. We know there's gaps, but what are they very, very specifically? So that's what allowed us more broadly to do and then more narrowly to focus on. Yeah. So that's really interesting because um, what a lot of patients have told us is that those, we call them patient reported outcomes, but 
issues like sleep, issues like pain, um, often we, they don't have time in the course of a, a consult with their rheumatologist to talk about some of those things. And what you're describing is that if you're a woman and if you're a woman of color, an indigenous woman, it's even more difficult. Um, so I think that was part of the power as you described it of our findings. And just to go back in terms of power, I think people should know that there were nearly 1300 respondents, which is a really incredible number uh, for us to be able to, uh, to reach and to receive this kind of data from. So this is, um, I mean, it's one reason why we're at ULAR obviously is that um, that's a very significant number. And I think out of that number, uh, Ellen, there were roughly 22, 23% uh, BIPOC and roughly 60% women, um, which helped obviously uh, power the data and the, uh, and the results. Um, I think you talked a little bit about, so we looked at interactions with HCPs, with healthcare providers. Um, did we identify any other barriers to access to care uh, in this survey? Absolutely. In terms of barriers, if you want to speak more broadly about barriers between women and men, we found that travel. In comparison to men, women found travel to be a much greater barrier to just getting to the appointment, not even the appointment itself, just getting to the appointment and also previous unpleasant experiences, mm. right? So women seem to have more unpleasant experiences in the past as compared to men. But then if we look at BIPOC women versus white men and women, we learned that language, that's not surprising actually, but language is a huge barrier and it's something we can solve for. But again, having that data there really helps to pull it all together, right? Now we know that, okay, language is a big barrier. The other one, time. Time is a barrier for everyone, right? So when we, when we put out the, the, the survey, we found that pretty much time was a barrier, like a pretty significant barrier for most. But if you look at the intersection, right, if that intersection, that specific group we're looking at, BIPOC women, it was a much greater barrier for BIPOC women when compared to every other group. What, um, that's interesting, because I, I just think, I mean, we often, when we're looking at women in arthritis, one of the things that we do know is that women often are the captains in the household as it relates to not just healthcare, but to basically the general functioning of that family. So if they don't have time to travel, if they have difficulties experiencing traveling, it's precisely because they're so busy um, taking care of their families and sometimes not taking care of their own healthcare needs. Um, so again, I think even more amplified with the population we're talking about. And if we do look at BIPOC women, again, as part of this sub-analysis of our survey findings, what did we find about their experience with discrimination? So that was probably the most um, powerful finding, as if we're going to use mm. that word. Um, when it 
came to discrimination, what, what we had done with the analysis was we, or what we had done in the design of the survey is we looked at discrimination, not as, do you, were you discriminated against? We asked two separate questions, discrimination based on gender and discrimination based on ethnicity. So we actually have both of those questions. And we asked, of course, it's patient perceived. So it's what my what my thought and what my experience as a patient, if I perceive that discrimination to be based on my a certain characteristic. So for example, when we looked at gender-based discrimination, we know that, let me pull up the exact numbers, but it was absolutely incredible. So BIPOC women reported facing gender-based discrimination at a rate of 14%. This is when we ask the question, this is the key, often. How, mm. so women, BIPOC women reported facing gender-based discrimination often at a rate of 14%. So that's that's telling you something. You're like, well, is that a lot, right? Everything is relative. Is that a lot? Wait, 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 before we, before we jump to conclusions, now let's look at the data for white women. For white women, mm -hmm. it's 7%. Mm -hmm. So that means BIPOC women faced gender-based discrimination twice as often. 200%, right? Twice as often as white women. And ready, this is this is the, 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 the biggest difference of all. Then when we looked at men, white men, it was 2%. Yeah. So really, BIPOC women reported experiencing discrimination seven times as often as white men just for their gender, just for their gender. So I think that that tells you something. It, it, yes, we, we understand. All of us know, no one's gonna deny that there's discrimination, but seven times as likely. No, that's, that's, so I can't even stomach them. So in terms of barriers, discrimination, and their interactions with healthcare providers, what are some of the conclusions that you're going to share as part of your presentation of the abstract at ULAR? Yeah, absolutely. So what we have concluded was that you know, as, as we, we spoke to previously, that BIPOC women, even though we've analyzed this data as, you know, we've grouped all of the BIPOC women together as in Black, Indigenous, and person of color together, we realized that these groups, number one, are different. They are unique within themselves and from an intersectional lens, you know, we got to do a lot more work to be able to capture is it just that they're BIPOC and a woman, or is there BIPOC women and they face challenges with whatever dominant language that the country speaks? Perhaps it's also a difference of education and how that compounds and adds even more layers, right? So can we look at, right now we're just looking at the intersection of two things. Can we look at the intersection of three, four, five things? And then what does that tell us, right? So that's, that's one of the conclusions. There's more research that needs to be done. And Kelly, I know you're smiling because that is, that is always the conclusion in research. Mm -hmm. um, but from what we know, 
unique and disproportionate barriers, 100%. That is what we found, unique. So those barriers are unique to that group and they're disproportionate. And then the experiences of discrimination are complex. Complex meaning they're not only based on the individual and whatever they're going through at home in their work, but also complexes. There's so many things outside of them that they can, can't control. Like we spoke about transport, like we spoke about time within and outside of them. And that the solutions that we come up with are going to be multi-level. Multi-level meaning from a perspective of somebody who works at a research organization that we can do better just locally. That means we need to be training our staff members, our up and coming researchers, our trainees in a way that is culturally sensitive where we develop the skills of cultural humility. It's not about knowing how to deal with every culture, but not offending anyone. It's about opening our minds to be ready to take on new information when it's presented to us, to not make any assumptions about the person sitting in front of us. That's what we gotta learn. Um, and then structurally, sort of a larger, broader system level, what can we do to change the conversations that we're having and research how do we change how we practice medicine and how do we legislate policy that will truly, truly, foundationally, structurally change the idea of care, right? Care more holistically, right? Healthcare is not, here's your care. It's how do we create an environment that is inducive to healing and repair and growth? So really complex issue here. It is complex. And I know another area that you're very passionate about too, is just having the right representation in patient research and patient involvement in clinical trials. And it's a conversation, all of these issues is a conversation that's occurring, not just in Canada, but around the world. Um, Canada happens to be, I think, one of the leaders and you are going to be one of those voices on June 2nd in Milan in front of hundreds of your peers and some of the smartest people who are working in arthritis. Wow. We wish you good luck. You, we know you're going to make ACE proud. You're going to make Canada proud. And we hope to hear about the experience when you return. Um, if people want information, there'll be some links at the end of this episode where they can find the PowerPoint presentation that you're presenting as well after you present it. So there will be information and we'll have links to some of the other work that we cited as well, including the, uh, the Joint Health Insight Summary of the uh, National Survey on Health Inequities that we published uh, at the end of last year. And to all of you, Thank you for joining us. We look forward to seeing you again soon on another episode of Arthritis at Home. Thanks, Ellen. And I'm just going to add again really quickly, or maybe not very quickly, but just wanted to express <laughs> genuinely. Um, really, I'm, I'm here and I get to go to Milan to represent the people who completed the survey. That if you did not complete the survey, I would not be able to say, like, look at this tremendous data set. So 
Um, I just want you to know that if you are somebody who completed the survey, thank you so much for your participation. It has given me the opportunity to represent you and hopefully make your voice heard. And then for those who are interested in want to learn more about our surveys, want to participate in the next one, please, please keep your eye out. Uh, please feel free to reach out to us. But from the bottom of our hearts, we could not do this without you. So thank you again. Nicely said, Ellen. The, the survey was powered by our respondents and ACE is powered by our patient members and supporters. So thank you again. See you soon. Bye, everyone.